Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining me on Fuel Radio today. Today, my guest is Jill Prescott. Jill is a self-professed spiritual badass. For 20 years, Jill worked in automotive finance and then began to feel a pull to do something else. Upon leaving that industry, she became a clinical hypnotherapist, which opened the door for a whole other world for her. It turned on her powerful, intuitive gifts that had lain dormant for many years. Although she no longer focuses exclusively on hypnotherapy, she uses the skills gained through the training every single day. She says that's why her meditations are so impactful. She's gone on to study psychologically based therapies through harmony integration, and then she took and coached leadership programs. She's picked up certifications in energy healing, speaking, and workshop facilitation. During our conversation, we talk about Jill's sometimes painful journey and her spiritual journey, how she transitioned from the automotive industry into being a spiritual badass, and we talk about her prayer program and men and spirituality. So without further ado, here's Jill Prescott. All right, Jill, welcome to Fuel Radio. It's so good to talk to you today. Thank you for the invite. I feel like it's been a long time coming. Yeah, we've been we've been going back and forth. We've been talking about talking for quite a while. So <laughs> finally, we are here. Yes, great. <laughs> and I have a feeling this is just the beginning of a of a long conversation. Great, I'm in <laughs> yeah. for that. Not not then meaning not just today, but uh, mm-hmm. for some time to come. Mm-hmm. So I was looking on your web page and looking at your about statement and stuff like that. You mentioned that you experienced some bullying and sexual abuse and. And then you have this wonderful statement, I had to heal old wounds and find a way to turn it all into magic. I love that. (laughs) So maybe, yeah, to begin with, please tell us a little bit about your journey and your story and how you went from that and and now are a spiritual badass, like you say on your business card. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, you know, we, we all have these lives. We're all given these opportunities to show up in the human form and really do Uh, everything we can with what we're given. And I feel that there are some situations that we simply don't have any control over what comes to us. So I wouldn't say that I had control over the abuse that I experienced as a nine-year-old or the rape at 16 or a lot of different things. However, I've always had control about once I came to a point in my life where I could think um, logically, where I could deduce um, reality from unreality, where I could make choice based from my own autonomy, those things, there was an opportunity to kind of, you know, put them all in a big melting pot and figure out how to use them to be of service. So my journey began in a house of six children um, with two parents and you know what? Um, lots of love in the house and lots of, I would say, uncertainty on how to raise that many kids with a lot of stress, not a lot of money, all of that kind of thing. And so it resulted for me in um, not having a lot of self-confidence. And when I ran into these girls in the neighborhood uh, one summer that became quite abusive with me, that really just took the grounding out from underneath of me. I didn't speak about it. I didn't tell anyone out of fear of being hurt more. And I didn't really speak about it at all until I was in my 20s. So I feel like that particular summer made it a lot easier to be the victim of more assault. 
it's like you, you're hiding this massive secret about your life. And there's so much shame and so much guilt, even though that's not logical when you think about it now. Even as the victim, as a survivor of these things, we carry so much of that with us that the idea of being found out will, will make you keep quiet about a whole lot more. That's how it was for me anyway. So in my 20s, I just barely started dipping my toe into the possibility that I didn't have to live with this anymore. And it's because I was experiencing some really kind of odd things physically and emotionally. I had also, by the time I started speaking out by that, I'd already had four miscarriages. Uh, One topic that um, it turned out diluted all chances of me ever actually carrying a child to term. So it took a long time to really know what it's like, as a matter of fact, into my 40s, to really understand that I could take all of this and do something different with it. But I'll tell you, I was a damn good survivor, you know, as lots of us are. I figured out ways to um, do really well at work and all of those kind of things. And then I, but I set myself aside to do it, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 And so we, as we talked before we got on to started the interview, started recording, you were in the car industry for a long time doing <laughs> car financing. That's right. And uh, I'm always interested in what was the turning point where you left that and started becoming <laughs> the uh, spiritual badass uh, <laughs> teacher or whatever you want to call it that you are. <laughs> yeah. You're well, this, you know, this full time, are you not now? Pardon me? You're doing this full time now. Yes, I have for the last seven years. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I tried to uh, leave the car business a few different times, but you kind of get, well, you do. For me, I got very tied into the amount of money that I was making at the time. And my self-worth was tied into how good I was at it. So there was a physical part of it as far as the money goes. And then there was also an emotional connection to it. So I finally did when I found out I had brain lesions. So that was the wake up, big wake up call for me where I thought, you know what, I need to do something to change how I'm living my life. And through a series of conversations and events, it became clear to me that it really was a manifestation out of the amount of anxiety and hurt and suppressed emotion, suppressed trauma that I've been living with. And I'm not sure that I knew that at the time, other than to say that now that the the work that I did, emotional work that I'd done, the different journeying experiences that I had, uh, a year after they originally found them, they were no longer, they were actually fading. So I really believe (laughs) that it was like my wake up call. Yeah. And our, our bodies don't lie, do they? Our bodies, no. <laughs> our minds will lie to us, but our bodies don't. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I was also in our pre-interview conversation, I was telling you, you know, I grew up in a conservative Christian background. And uh, when I hear someone calling themselves a bat, a spiritual badass, <laughs> it's still difficult, even though I've I'm, I'm not a conservative Christian anymore. It still makes me cringe a little bit. Like, <laughs> yep. tell, us, tell us what it means to be a, a spiritual badass and why use that term. Let's start there maybe. And then, yeah, yeah what does that mean to you? Well, it means that I, I, I am very grounded in what I believe and I have no problem speaking about it. So I tell truths that other people are unwilling to tell a lot of times. 
I will stand hard for someone else getting their freedom through the work that I do. I am deeply committed to my own personal journey and my relationship with God. And when someone is like that, who is bucking the, you know, status quo, and I don't go along with, you know, you can't rope me in anymore. And to me, the willingness to really stand for what I believe in is very badass. So I've always had a bit of a personality where I say what I, you know, I'm not afraid to speak out. But since I've changed my life in the way that I had in the last seven years, that part didn't change. But what I speak out about and how I hold myself and um, how I show up for people, that has really come into alignment with that. So I was saying to you earlier too, Rod, it's funny because my partner, Chris, was not happy about that title either. (laughs) He fought me on it. I won, of course, because I'm a badass. (laughs) You mentioned telling the truth there. And it's, it's interesting. Like, I think sort of in spiritual circles, it's almost become, I don't know what you call it. And you're definitely not doing this, but, and I feel like some of the people that I have followed and, and even interviewed to me, sometimes they, um, in the social media world, they almost go overboard mm-hmm. at the same time. I strongly believe, and it's been a, a powerful thing in my own life to, to tell the truth, at least to someone, you know, mm-hmm. to, to let them know, you know, I don't have any skeletons in my closet. I've, I've told someone and because I've been involved in recovery and stuff like that. Yes. There, there there's somebody who knows, you know, the, the, the uh, all about my shadow, the good and the bad. Yep. And, uh, and then on an ongoing basis too, the things that I'm struggling with from the uh, day to day or whatever. So mm-hmm. um, just from your perspective, <laughs> tell us a little bit more about telling the truth. Yeah. <laughs> I love what you just said because I'm seeing the same thing. People are using truth telling as a marketing device, uh, which is really unfortunate because that's not what it's about. That, that isn't what it's about. And I say it all the time, the way I share the truth and how uh, public I am about it is not for everyone. Someone needs to, the the moment that we give language to our trauma or our secrets, they lose their power and it doesn't have to be public. I really, really strongly believe that if sharing your truth publicly is going to cause you harm, or additional trauma, then it's not time. It's not time. You have to have a a grounding place. You have to have a platform, a foundation in place in your life that sharing these truths really comes from an empowered place because that's when it has a positive impact on others. And you, if you're coming still and speaking your truth from your trauma and you're doing it publicly and all this stuff comes in, that can wipe you out again. And that's not what we're here for. I love that. That's a great, that's a great perspective. Yeah, there, there definitely is a time and a place and having to use discernment is, is helpful. And I, I think to work with someone like you who can help, help people discern that is, is really good as well. Yeah. Well, and I think that your secrets are sacred. So, you know, make sure that you're sharing them with someone who can hold sacred space for you while you do. Excellent. And what was that like for you? Like, when did you eventually talk about the things that had happened to you in the past? And uh, (laughs) Well, let's put it this way. I started talking to a counselor when I was 26, and I didn't actually, like, really start telling the truth until I was in my 40s. 
So, you know, it's a, it's a long road. It was a long road for me. It was a long, hard road for me. And what I discovered is that who I was lying to the most was myself. I was lying over here all the time. I was lying about my own happiness. I was lying about what mattered. I, I, I was putting on a false face. I, could, I, I was one of those people, Rod, and I know that you know these people. I could fit in anywhere. Mm-hmm. I never ruffled any feathers. Right. But I was lying. Mm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Nice package. Probably <laughs> dirt in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> What was, oh, you, you sparked something in, in my mind that when we're talking about telling the truth, what are we really talking about? Like, so far, we've sort of referenced things that maybe have happened to us in the past or, you know, maybe even some abusive things that we've done. That's right. So given and received, right? So there's, there's mm-hmm. that. It, I'm, I'm, get, I'm getting from you that telling the truth is really almost all-encompassing. It's about our feelings and all kinds of things. Yeah. Am I on the right track with you there? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I feel like once we start to tell the truth, and oftentimes it does require we start telling the truth about our past, then we realize that telling the truth won't make us die. Because honestly, that's how I felt. I felt like if I said what had happened to me, and if I shared what I'd been through, there was a visceral experience within my body that it would kill me. Mm. So... Uh, and I shared how I felt or any of that. So there's, once we kind of move past that and we realize we won't, there's a place that we move into in which not telling the truth is not possible. Mm. So we connect to that part of ourselves that won't, that, that no longer leaves us behind, that no longer will allow, we'll no longer allow ourselves to diminish our own truth. Mm. So when we're in relationship, we start telling the truth. When and around our families, we tell the truth. And of course, there's a risk to that. You know, when I'm not the same person I was before. Right. So when I share, when I start to speak the truth, that's upsetting for a lot of people. There's a lot of people who do not want the secrets of the family out. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. Or to even just, I don't know, there's just, there's a lot of, there's so much mixed up in it. There's so much that happens. It's like a, a, a you know, the, talking about a boulder or a, you roll something down a hill and it keeps collecting moss until it's a massive mountain. This is what happens with a lie. In the, or, or just not even a lie, yes, but also not speaking about what happened. Not telling the truth about what's going on. It starts to roll down the hill and collects and collects until it's a, it's, it feels too big, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And when the first person starts pulling that apart, it's like, what's that game where you pull the stick out and the whole thing crumbles? <laughs> Jenga. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I guess in this case, it, they, they're things that maybe need to crumble. <laughs> they do. Of course they do. Yeah. Because this, it's, so, it's so interesting, Rod. The relationships that I have now in the way that I am, some of my old relationships were unrecoverable. It's just how it was. They were not, people were not willing or ready to live in the truth. Mm-hmm. But they're, on the flip side of that, I have relationships now that are so powerful, so connected, so deep. And that just simply 
is not available unless you're telling the truth. And I know you have that experience. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know that my Achilles heel, and it's, it's a difficult one with recovery, is I want to appear like I'm okay. Like I have this yeah. strong drive. It's part of my, my conditioning, my family dynamics and growing up is that every, everybody looked okay on the surface and we yes. had to be we had to be positive and we had to look great, smell great. And, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. on the inside, we're feeling a ton of pain. Yeah. And, you know, it's just this, it's, it's this cycle that, that doesn't work, you know. Yeah. And so, unfortunately, that keeps me from telling the truth a lot of the times because I don't want anybody to know that I'm, that I'm struggling or I've acted out or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's, like you say, it's just when I do that, then it's this snowball that starts rolling down the hill and it just gets worse and worse. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So true. Mm-hmm. I've noticed you've, you've had quite a bit of an emphasis lately on prayer. And, and as I told you before, again, before we got on the call, <laughs> prayer is, um, prayer is one of my passions. Mm-hmm. It's interesting too. If you don't mind, I'll, I'll share this with you. Please. One of my favorite prayers is called the welcoming prayer. Mm. And it's where the first part of the, the first part of the first movement, if you will, is actually just welcoming what's going on instead of resisting it and pushing mm-hmm. it away. And when we were talking about telling the truth, it kind of reminded me of that, that you're not, you're not trying to push away. You're not trying to deny. You're mm-hmm. welcoming what, whatever's going on. And yeah. you can even welcome the divine into that. But anyways, it's not yes. about, this, this conversation is not about me. It's about you. And <laughs> I love that, though. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, prayer, yeah prayer, go ahead. Prayer actually, you know, um, I was raised Catholic, and I walked away from that at a fairly young age, and I felt quite traumatized by it in a lot of ways. And so I had to do my own, I had to come back to God in the way that served me. And really, it was a very huge um, reclamation of the spiritual side of myself where I could now, I can now look back on that upbringing, look back on the church and really acknowledge how beautiful some of it was, like how beautiful and separate that from what was traumatizing for me, Hmm. you know? And so that's the same with prayer. Prayer, so much of it I felt was based on me needing forgiveness for being a sinner before I did anything. You know, and so there was a there was like a, um, a visceral response to it and, and almost like an intuitive response of rejection of no, that's not OK. That does not work for me. And so uh, when I started looking at prayer again for myself, again, it was like it's really I'm in the process of a reclamation of prayer for myself. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you know this, but I send I have a program called Life as Prayer. Mm. And I send, I write um, my own, I call them poetic prayers. And I send one out every week. Mm. And that has been a profound practice for me. Mm. And again, I think it's a practice. I think it lines me up with my, it's a, it's a piece of the puzzle for me in my relationship with the divine. I, I like how you said you, you had to find it find a way for it to work for you so for a way, a way that it, that it can serve you. Right. Mm-hmm. Rather than be something that, that, that detracts, you know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I think so often too, unfortunately, we, we feel bad about it. We feel bad enough about ourselves. Right. <laughs> and, and for so many of us, our, our religious upbringing and conditioning just kind of heaped more of that 
yeah. on top of us, you know, mm-hmm. and, it, and it didn't, that doesn't serve, no. that doesn't serve us. You know, if you're, if you're someone like me who kind of has this, a, a bit of a melancholy disposition, <laughs> and then you add to that sort of the worm theology and, and, <laughs> and sin and all that kind of stuff, it, it really, it really doesn't work. It doesn't serve, doesn't serve me at all. Have you, have you kind of found that too? Yeah. And you know, I, I feel very strongly that what doesn't serve us does not serve the divine either. Mm, wow. You know, yeah. What doesn't serve us does not serve God. God's, I, I read a little piece in a book the other day and I'm, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase this, but basically it is when I speak of God, God is also speaking of me. So, you know, that there, there is no, there's no separation. There's no difference between that energy that I carry within me, a piece of that exists within me. And so when I've dropped down into the heart space, which is really where prayer comes from, it's never a logical thing, I don't believe. It always comes from my heart. I am allowing the communication of the creator to run through me. Mm. You know, yeah. and, and it comes around and it nourishes me again and then it nourishes those outside of me and it nourishes God. And, you know, it's just a beautiful cycle that gets created this way. I bet, is that what you're finding with the prayers that you're writing? Is that kind yeah. of the, the process that's kind it's of beautiful. coming from your heart and flowing out of you and yep. flowing to you? And mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, continually. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Mm-hmm. And what's, what's the reaction been? Because people do have, you know, I've been writing and talking about prayer for a long time. So people have, of course, we all have our own views on what, on what prayer is. So what's, what's been the response to the, what you've been yeah. doing? Well, the, the people who are in the program are loving it. So mm-hmm. I actually write it and I record it. So I do a voice recording of the prayer as well. Oh, nice. Um, some people use it in different ways. I What I ask of them or what I suggest that they do is to uh, either read it or listen to it once or twice or three times for themselves and then do it as an offering Mm. Um, so that we're, you know, we're all energy beings. So what we speak and how we put ourselves out in the world has an impact on people on the other side of the planet. So if we can share some of that love that way, I think that's a really beautiful thing. Interestingly, you know, and this also, it's so, this journey for us is never ending. The evolution of ourselves is never ending. And I noticed when I created the program, uh, and it's been created for a few months now, and it's just getting, I just keep tuning it up and tuning it up, because I realized recently that I was, there was a part of me that was kind of holding back about it. So, not really declaring it as a sacred practice, not really saying like, look, this is available to help you with your awakening into consciousness. This is powerful. This is not playtime. You know, you're asking for an evolution within your own self. This is a part of your evolution. You know, I was making it light, you know, and, and not demanding much of the people in the program or not asking much of people. Mm. And, and that's changed. <laughs> so, <laughs> My, uh, my incredible webmaster is, uh, I've done a whole bunch of rewrites and created some new stuff and he's just got some last minute tweaks and then it's going to be relaunched just more as a stand for, you know, this is, this is who I am and this is what it's about without hiding behind humor or, you know, any of that stuff. So. Yeah. You, you're just going to be unapologetic, unapologetic about it and go for Even it. Even more so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think, 
and I'm, I'm sure you agree. Like we never, we're always learning to pray. Like you said, it's, it's evolving, isn't it? And the, the yeah. blog that I started years ago, I called it learning to pray because I didn't want to, mm. I didn't, I didn't think I could ever come across as, as an expert in spite of praying, you know, quite diligently and as mm. a practice for over 20 years and doing yeah. lots of study, yeah. I'm still learning all the time. And the divine, I feel like is teaching me yes. all the time and it's going deeper and it's, it's evolving, you know, it's not like there's, there's just not just one way to pray. And I no. think, and then it's, what's fun about it is I think the divine participates and plays with us in mm-hmm. that very playful. And yes. Yeah. Well, and I think this is why I called it life as prayer mm. because it's not, I really believe that our entire lives are a prayer. Yeah. You know, everything we're doing, it's always a prayer the moment that we choose to offer our lives in service to the, to the creator, to source, to God, to the source of love, whatever you happen to, uh, whatever language you happen to use around that source of love, it, the moment that you turn towards that, your life is a prayer. It's a communication with God. So you provided a good uh, transition earlier. You you mentioned oneness. You mentioned separation. I'm wondering if you could. You wrote a blog post on that recently, and it's it's one of those things that keeps surfacing for me as well. Just mm-hmm. in what I'm listening to and hearing, I'm hearing other people talk about it. And uh, you know, one person is 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 Tara Brock who talks about it. But but our this feeling of separateness from the divine is it's actually quite a really serious yes. <laughs> kind of issue, isn't it? And and yes. Uh, just give us your own thoughts on that. Please. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my belief is that we are all connected on a soul level. And scientifically, we, they've now proven that we're all connected energetically. So it is a fact. It's not woo-woo. It's not spiritual. It's not anything. We are connected on that level. I think the difference is the moment that you take it into the realm of spirituality it's that we're not only connected to each other and every being on the planet, we're connected to the divine. We're connected to the source of all energy, the source of all love. And so when we, even, if we, even if we only get so far, Rod, as to understand that we and believe that we are connected energetically to one another, that what I do impacts you and what you do impacts me globally, that would change how we exist on the planet. If, that, if that's only as far as we got. And if we then can expand it even further to understanding that we are connected to the source of all things as an energy, then there's a whole other level that's available to us. Yeah. I, I think so many of our spiritual practices too actually are pathways to oneness. You know, yes. like when you... You and I, we practiced a moment of silence before we got out. You know, that silence and stillness, in a way, we're connecting with, we're, we're it's, it's, a, it's a way into oneness, you know? Yes. What do you think about this? I, I do, I've never mentioned this in public to anyone, so here we go. Is sometimes I'll go to the grocery store, and I, I don't want to objectify people. I don't want to get mad. I don't want to, you know, mm-hmm. all kinds of different things. So I will, I will just say over over and over again in my mind the word one the word one or in traffic it's great in traffic that we're i'm one with the guy ahead of me we're somehow connected (laughs) beautiful i think that's a a beautiful beautiful practice yes you know our thoughts are very powerful 
Mm-hmm. Very powerful. So that's whatever we're thinking is what's vibrating out of us. So I think that's a beautiful practice. Yeah. So we, when we say that you work with people, what does that look like? Are you, uh, I know you've done, <laughs> I've seen you do retreats and, and small groups. And uh, yeah. I've seen lately you saying that you have room for one more person. <laughs> well, I've, I'm do, I'm, I love to work one-on-one. And uh, I would say 95% are women <laughs> or women, uh, people who identify as female. And um, the one-on-one work for me, I think, is so powerful because the, one of the strongest gifts that I have is a capacity to really hold space for people. And that means basically um, people feel safe with me. There's a um, grounded foundation with who I am and the work that I do that they can come in uh, doesn't matter how, whether it's in person or on Zoom, into conversation with me and feel like they're really held. So there's an experience of the presence of the divine through me, whether they can name it that or not, because I lean so hard <laughs> into that, into the, the support that I feel so strongly from the divine. And so uh, I do one-on-one work with women. We do three or six months to start, depending on what happens to be going on for them. And then, yes, I do retreats and I, um, I lead small group coaching programs and uh, there's the Life as Prayer program as well. And of course, I'm all over social media. <laughs> and I love doing talks. So I love to be on people's stages as well. It's one of my, one of my, one of my fun things to do. And you did a Vancouver TED Talk. I think that might be where I first became aware of you and then started following you on social media was with your... Uh, yeah, my TEDx talk, yeah. Your TEDx talk, yeah. What, what did you talk about again? I talked about the um, power of secrets and the power of releasing the secrets. So mm. uh, very much, I've been on message for a very <laughs> long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hmm. So this question just popped into my head. You, you and your husband, uh, Chris, your partner, Chris, you do a lot of stuff together. Mm-hmm. And you say that 95% of the, um, the people <laughs> that you see are, are women. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, just, I did a silent retreat in March. And uh, there was, you know, there was, I think there was 15 people there. And there was only three guys. Yep. <laughs> yep. So, <laughs> So what's up with men? That's my question. Yeah. What do you, why do you? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I can't really spirituality. Yeah. So I'll, I'll share my experience so far. So Chris and I do work with couples. Um, and Chris, with another uh, dear friend of ours, Bill um, Klum, uh, who is married to Patricia, um, they hold their own retreats. But Chris and Bill have been uh, attempting to put a men's circle together here for ages. <laughs> So, um, there's some resistance, and I'm not sure what that's about exactly. However, here's the good news. Chris and I went to Bill and Patricia's last retreat as a couple together, and um, it was almost an even split, men to women. So, uh, I think that the more um, invitation that men have, the, the, the better. In my own experience, when I started doing the work that I do, and when I first started, I was almost exclusively doing hypnotherapy because I'm a clinical hypnotherapist. Um, I found that 
there was an openness with women that I could not necessarily get with men. So um, not all of them. I had some brilliant success with some, and then others, I, I just, I could not find that common ground enough that I was, be, I was able to serve them to the degree in which they deserve to be served. Yeah, interesting. And we see these movements with men that come and go, and there are certain things that, that men do. And uh, I know there was a guy downtown recently who, who did some talks just for men, and he had quite a good response. There was like over 100, 100 men there. So we'll see. <laughs> and I think, you know, honestly, Rod, as far as the public talks and all that stuff go, I think that's great. And <laughs> on a whole other piece here is that it's very much time for men to start listening more than they're talking. Mm. And that was a big part of this retreat that we were on too, is, is Chris really made a, a really impassioned uh, request of the men to start listening to us, to mm. start listening um, because we carry so much medicine. Uh, mm. You know, those who, of us who identify as female really do carry a tremendous amount of medicine that has been suppressed for so long um, and really could, has the potential for healing so much on our planet. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder, again, this thought's just popping into my mind is that it seems like someone I've been reading a lot lately is just talking about how the, the, that the, even the divine seems to have, have a relationship within the divine. You know, if they're, yes. just, they're talking about the Trinity, you know, <laughs> and I, I think some of the medicine that women can offer men is that you're so much better at relationships than we are. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I think men, this is probably too much of a cliche. I'm speaking generally, but men tend not to talk very deeply about too many things until they have to, you know, until they, until they get caught, until they get into real trouble, you know? Well, and see, that's also a part of the programming, right? I mean, systems that are in place to repress people, always there's an impact on the repressor. So we're talking about generations of patriarchy, and as much as that has served men, there is a, an aspect of it that has caused a tremendous amount of damage to men as well. And one of those things is for the men who are now waking up to the damage that that caused in the first place, they're finding it very difficult to find spaces within their own selves to start for their vulnerability. I think with younger generations, it's starting to, starting to happen. You know, I'm sort of on that age where it's... Uh, I'm I'm on the I'm on the cusp. <laughs> mm-hmm. <You> know? yeah. <laughs> Most of the men in my generation were still thinking about getting married, having kids, and it was kind of the and, and a bit of a patriarchy and, yep. and that sort of thing. But uh, I would say my kids are not in that yeah. same, uh, you know, aren't thinking the same way at all. So I, I think it's I think it's starting to to change. The yeah. generations upcoming now are uh, they give me hope. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, excellent. So we've we've talked about working with you. Yeah, is there anything else that you want to you want to cover today? Uh, that, <laughs> I'm sure we can keep going, but uh, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, I think that um, uh, the piece that's happening right now is that it's time for people to really start speaking up. And the moment that we choose a life in which we tell the truth um, and we do it responsibly, this is another piece of it. Uh, we must be responsible with how we tell the truth as well. 
Um, that doesn't mean that we don't tell the truth because somebody else might be hurt that's been hiding it. <laughs> so don't get that mixed up. I think that that's a real beautiful spiritual path. You know, I think it, it puts us on that road. It, it, it is, we cannot have an honest relationship with the divine if we can't have an honest relationship with ourselves. You know, and the moment that we start doing that, the possibility opens up of all our relationships being that. Um, Chris and I had this conversation the other day. We do videos live together as well. And I done a post about the fact that Chris is not the love of my life and I'm not the, and I'm not the love of his life either. I read that one. Yeah, I saw yeah. that. <laughs> and that you know, really, we're both of us are deeply committed to the creator, to love, to God. Mm -hmm. And that because of that, another energy gets created between us. A very powerful, powerful energy is created between us. And so I think that if we really start taking our autonomy back by honoring who we are, honoring our stories, our trauma, our, our experiences in this life, and allowing that healing to flow through us, then every relationship that we come into with another human being has the potential for creating that energy. Now, and that energy can solve a whole lot of mess on our planet right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just want to encourage our listeners to uh, check out Jill online. I've been following her for a long time, and you'll see examples of of what she's talking about. And, and I think you'll pick up her vibe <laughs> quite quickly. <laughs> I, I love how you handle, you handle really controversial s subjects. And uh, I like how you try to, you, you really try to keep it in a, in a healthy sort of pocket, I guess, if you will, if you, if I could put it that way. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's, I, I think that's possible for anyone yeah. when we really keep our eye on the truth of things and we're willing to, understand that from for me personally i am a white woman in canada with a tremendous amount of privilege mm. uh so when we keep that in mind uh and we really speak to making a difference for those that do not have our privilege it's much easier so just share with us some of the ways actually i encourage people to share one way what's the best way <laughs> reach me <laughs> Let me say, probably the best place to get to know my work is Instagram right now, I think. Yeah, I do. Or to get on my, my email list. I email every week and that's really where people get the deepest of my work. Good. We will have all, I'll share all of your links and everything in the show notes. So if people are listening on, on iTunes or SoundCloud or, or whatever platform they happen to be listening on, we'll put this on YouTube as well. Right. Um, they can they can check out the show notes and, and look for more links to Jill. So be wonderful to, to visit with you. I, I'm sure we'll do this again sometime. And uh, great, thanks, Rod. Been my pleasure. <laughs>